This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on whatever you're listening on. I am Mike Williams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King. They're joined by a special guest tonight, former Major League Baseball right fielder, played with the Tigers, Phillies, Phillies, Mariners, Pirates, and Astros. He led National League Baseball outfielders three-time in assists and double plays turned. And check this stat out. Range factor, he is 30th all-time since 1901. 30th all-time in his position. He led the league in fielding percentage in 1983. So we got Major League Baseball All-Star Glenn Wilson here. Glenn, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be on. Awesome. So we're going to jump into uh, our interview tonight here, and we're going to start with Brian. All right, Glenn. Um, can you tell me a little bit about growing up in Chandlerville, Texas, and how you got started on the road to becoming a professional baseball player? Okay, um, yeah, growing up in Channel View, I lost my father when I was six years old. I had two older brothers and an uh, athletic mother who had actually played professional basketball after being All-State five years in high school. They brought her up from the eighth grade. They grew up in Mississippi, both my mom and dad. My dad falls over dead on the 13th green of our local golf course in Channel View. Uh, then my travels became my oldest brother, who wanted to be the next Mickey Mantle. Um, he needed somebody to work with him. And by age three, I was already hitting plastic baseballs with a stick. <clears throat> and by the time I was six, I probably could have played with 10-year-olds. You know, I was just really blessed with athletic ability, not really uh, one sport because I would venture on from having my brother beat me up if I didn't play with him uh, <laughs> and having to play with him every single day of baseball. Uh, in my teen years, Joe Namath became my idol along with Muhammad Ali. And so those were my two influences. I didn't like baseball as much as I liked football, uh, basketball. I played all four of these in high school, football, baseball, basketball, and track. But in basketball, it's the only sport uh, I had trouble with. Uh, even though I could slam dunk a volleyball and then a basketball by my junior and senior years, um, I couldn't make it go through the hole from the outside. So the coach told me the next sport is it's not a layup or a dunk acid. So I went on to pole vault, high jump in track, went to the state meet, uh, both years, junior and senior years rather. Um, but Joe Namath being my hero when I get, when it came to high school football, uh, they brought me to the varsity as just a defensive back my freshman year. And then, of course, uh, the next year, my sophomore year, they wanted me on varsity, and I asked to stay on JV to play quarterback because they already had a veteran quarterback. And then, of course, you know, I got a full offer from uh, Sam Houston State University in Huntsville, Texas. But, you know, my childhood, my upbringing was perfect for, a, you know, a kid with a lot of athletic ability. You know, I had the right people in my life. So 
you, you were a really good outfielder. You had a very strong arm. You'd even throw batters out at first base, which we don't see that anymore in today's baseball. That's a, a lost art. Um, is that something that you worked on in practice, or what do you attribute to your, your great arm strength and accuracy? Uh, again, God gave me a, a great arm. A great arm. I mean, not just strong and accurate. He gave me um, this uh, knowledge with the game. And I'd been a third baseman my whole life. And huh. the only reason I got moved to the outfield was because, you know, I was, I was sent straight to double A after being a number one draft pick. And uh was in the big leagues in a year and a half. And so, uh, you know, my arm was tremendous from third base, but when I threw it high, it might kill somebody in the stands. And so uh, that's what happened in Montgomery, Alabama. My first year, I, I was just making a lot of throwing years. And uh, the next year, the Tigers said, hey, we can make him an outfielder because he can hit. And see, that's the story till today about kids that, look, you know, play the infield if you can because he, he, you can take an infielder and make him an outfielder where you usually can't take an outfielder and make him an infielder except maybe first base. But, you know, as far as the arm strength goes, it just – I was – always throwing I, I threw every day from age three till what 34 yeah no and I still throw what am I talking about I throw batting practice. I've never had arm pain either and I attribute that to throwing every day all right right well let me take you back to the 1985 all-star game in the Metrodome in Minnesota you're on the field and in the dugout with some all-time greats like Ozzie Smith, Nolan Ryan, Tony Gwynn, Ryan Sandberg. What was that experience like? And was there sort of a level of awe being around so many legends like that? Yeah. Um, the first thing was, you know, I was like a kid in a candy store. I was also scared to death because, you know, I was in – on the field for batting practice, the locker room, and all the functions that go on at the All-Star game and the two, the day prior and the day before, or day after. It's, uh, I believe they should make it to where if you made the All-Star team for the first time, it's say, like I did in 1985, you should automatically be on the one for 1986 because you can't feel your body. <laughs> At least I could. Uh, I was in awe. Just absolute awe. I remember the, the biggest event of that game I remembered was Nolan came in the game and knocked Ricky Henderson on. I am not kidding you. I have no idea how he got out of the way of that pitch. And when I saw that, I went, oh, my gosh. You know, I faced Nolan a lot, and, man, that scared me for me. <laughs> so uh, even though I'd gone to hit, do fairly well against Nolan, I had two home runs off of him. But 
I was in the five hole and he would always have just really been grinding, you know, for the cleanup hitter. You know, it was either Schmidt or Davis or Lance Parrish. So, you know, it was pretty awesome at that All-Star game. Uh, still have the ring. It's beautiful. I didn't even know you got a ring for an All-Star game. Uh, I didn't know that either. That, wow. <laughs> yeah, you get a ring. And it, it says, uh, has a big, it actually had a maroon, Billy's maroon uh, ruby in it. And then on the top, it's got in gold, the base, Major League Baseball logo. And then on each side has who the American League team is, who the National League team is. And so, yeah, anytime. So I'm going to take it to 1987. You get on the mound and you pitch one inning of Major League Baseball. You strike out one. You give up no hits. How, how, how did that go down? Okay. Um, I've been beating up John Belsky after and after him was Lee Ilya and even Paul Owens. I beat him up about hey, let me pitch an inning. You let Greg Gross, you let uh, Tommy Gregg, and I've seen well, so many other things. I need to get an inning in if we if we're out of pitchers. So uh, we were out of pitchers on a night in uh, New York Shea Stadium. Uh, and so what I did was we were down 13-3 and what happened was we were out of pitchers and Lee Ilya came over to me, it was going to be the top of the eighth and asked hey Willie, you think you can give me an inning? And I looked at him like, are you crazy? I could give you 20. As <laughs> <laughs> I left and so, um, what happened next was just, you know, pure will. Uh, just absolutely pure will. I took the mound, you know, and, and Ilya was smart. You know, he, he was a veteran guy, been around the game a long time. And he said to me, whatever you do, don't embarrass the game. And I wasn't going to embarrass the game. And so now I'm pitching my first hitter's Jerry Carter. He's three for five on the night with two home runs. And I just happened to turn around, you know, to get the, the ball because, you know, they throw it around the infield before you get it. And I wasn't nervous. I was probably more confident than I had been in, since my last game. <laughs> I was just a confident person. It came off as cocky uh, in high school and college that there's actually a movie about it now called Everybody Wants Some. Uh, a guy that was on our 1980 college team, uh, he made the movie. His name's Richard Linklater. You may have heard of him. He's done a lot of uh, Everybody Wants Some, uh, Boyhood. Uh, and in the movie, he considered his high school deal uh, – I forget the name, so it's on the tip of my tongue. But anyways, uh, we were talking about pitching. Uh, so I start Gary Carter off with a curveball, my old high school curveball. I had not pitched an inning since uh, high school. 
And actually, during the game, you can hear uh, Richie Ashburn saying, I believe he pitched in high school. <laughs> and, uh, you know, after I saw the replay, I'm like, how did he know that? But, you know, they know a lot about you. So, anyways, I, I start Carter off with the curveball. He takes it for a strike. And then I go to uh, Howard Johnson. And Hojo and I had come up to the big leagues together on the same plight, on the same team, in the same organization. So we had our first uh, taste of the big leagues together. But we weren't close, but we were connected. So, you know, he's laughing, you know, and I, I, Ilias told me, don't embarrass the game. And I can't smile, but I got a little giggle came across me for a second. I just put my head down. And uh, Hojo gets in there, and now I'm throwing all split fingers. I threw, I used to warm up in the outfield with whoever came out of the bullpen, whatever reliever, and I'd warm up like I was Nolan Ryan. I would throw curveballs and splitters and cutters and all these different pitches. And it was, you know, again, it kept me, you know, doing something. I was always that kid that had to be doing something. I couldn't just sit around. I'm still that way to this day. And so uh, I start Hojo off with a splitter. It takes it for a strike, and it looks like a curveball. And Harry Callis actually calls it a curve because it just drops straight down on the outside corner. And I was like, wow, they usually move left for me in the outfield. But I guess because of the height of the mound, this is how they're going to go. So I'll just have to start them higher. And that's how the brain works, not just pitching, hitting, playing your position. And that's what's not being taught to kids these days. Like, of course they can play because they're playing all the time in this select baseball year-round. Some kids are playing 130 games a year at age eight, which there's nothing wrong with that, but they're spending too much money when they could just play plastic ball in the backyard and get the same uh, results. But anyways, um, I get uh, Hojo down to two strikes, and he kind of slumps his shoulders drop, and he, he's walking away from the the dugout camera from the visitor side. And so um, he gets back in the box and he turns to Darren Dalton, God rest his soul, you know, uh, he's catching that game. And he, he, he and I were on uh, pace after the first hitter with Carter. He didn't know I threw all those pitches. And, but he was right on with which one was best for who. I mean, that guy was, he was brilliant. A baseball player brilliant not only great he was brilliant and to be a catcher you have to be brilliant if you're going to be great like he was uh so anyways uh we i gave him one fastball uh but i waited until he had one strike on him so he was one and one i just gave him a uh, firm fastball I, I did not try to overthrow because i didn't want to hurt my own arm and i'd heard of it happening before and he swings and fouls it back. And he knows now I've got him. And we're at uh, one and two. And I throw another splitty. And this ball literally dropped to the ground in front of Darren, waist high, when it got to Hojo. 
And Darren had to pick it up out of the dirt and tag him. And I went, oh my goodness, I, I missed the, I, I'm in, I'm at, I'm doing the wrong thing for my career. But here's the whole deal. I never wanted to be a baseball player. I wanted to be the next Joe Namath. <laughs> and uh, it just, God had other plans. And that's why I tell people all the time now, because, you know, I'm a licensed ordained minister. Uh, I've spoken in prisons. I go to churches. I go to um, functions in the city for the, uh, you know, the meek of the world in our area of the world. And it's a sad situation. But anyways, um, yeah, the next hitter was Rafael Santana. And he actually took me to like 11 pitches. And I just kept throwing fastballs because I knew he would probably pop it up or hit a ball on the ground because he, you know, he wasn't, he didn't hit a lot of home runs in his career. But uh, he ended up rounding out to short to Steve Jelts to end the inning. And I just do my best imitation of no, the way Nolan walked off the field. Got to the dugout and I told the, after I waited till everybody got there, you know, and I'm acting like I'm getting ready to sit down. And I say to them, this is how it's done. You know, it's that easy. So learn from it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I get that. I mean, it was it was awesome. <laughs> He's like, "Oh, now you think you can pump everybody up?" I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> well, All speaking right. of pumping, yeah, speaking of pumping everybody up, uh, um, Sparky Anderson, Paul okay. Owens, Jim Leland, all big league managers who took clubs to the Fall Classic. Yes, uh, which of these managers did you feel the most comfortable working with, and how did how would you say that their managerial styles uh, differed? Oh, uh, Leland was let's say let's start with number one. Sparky hated rookies. Uh, it was best I be traded, although I wanted to play twenty years, and I still to this day believe I would have. If he'd have just left me alone, you know, my first fully or my first year in the big leagues, he made he let me. He wanted me to play center, and so I did, and I had fewer errors than I ever had in a season. Uh, the next year I was when I became a right fielder, but Sparky never complimented me ever. And you got to remember, growing up without a dad and having two older brothers, you're fighting for attention. And so um, it just carried over in my life. I also was a person that was defiant to authority unless it was like the law, you know, police officers or military men. Uh, I always gave them rank. Uh, above me uh, but as far as umpires managers uh, general managers no uh, you're just another guy to me I don't care if you've got money or don't have money you're just another guy and I literally quit the Detroit Tigers for about an hour 
when Sparky told me in that rookie year, I'm hitting, after two weeks, I was hitting 425. After the fourth week, I'm still hitting 385. And he tells me they got to send me down during batting practice. And I said, do it. He said, we have to send you down. Well, see, I didn't understand the system of baseball. And uh, I said, well, if you're going to send me down, I quit. He goes, well, quit. I said, okay, bye. And I started taking my uniform off as I'm walking across the Tiger Field. And I went and put my street clothes on and was headed out the door. And Roger Craig stopped me and said, uh, hey, uh, Glenn, he goes, before you go, will you do us a favor or do it for me is how he ended up saying it. Because I was so mad, you know, angry, like a little kid. Because uh, I was still a kid, according, you know, with being around Major League Baseball. This is my rookie year, you know, and I'm tearing it up. And uh, I'm getting sent down. They know you're not going to be happy if you're competitive. You know, if you're not competitive, yeah, you just go down. But I wasn't going down. And so, you know, when Roger Craig worded it the way he did, I, I said, yeah, for you, I will. So he asked me to go upstairs and talk to the general manager, uh, Jim Campbell. And I did. And he explained how Major League Baseball worked with options on rookies, option on uh, a first-year and second-year player, and how, it, you know, how you can get brought back up. And it, like, because they called me up, that was one option. Going back to two, only after one more, you have to stay. And that made sense. But, you know, just to walk up to me and say, you know, you're being sent down was just uh, terrifying. Sparky, I hated. Um, we would have come to blows at some point in time. Um, uh, who was number two to fill it all Just nothing but respect, but we did have a, a, a fist fight. Um, <clears throat> I think that was a good thing because we loved each other after that. Uh, third manager was John Felsky, my favorite, my, my favorite manager of all time because. He put me in the lineup the first year he took over in 85 and never took me out. Uh, I didn't have to, it was my first year to not have to worry when you're coming to the clubhouse if you're going to be in the lineup or not. Um, after him, I had Lee Ilya, who was just, you know, a remnant to me. He'd been around the league. He was the Cubs manager when they just wouldn't give him any talent. So, I didn't really dislike him or like him. You know, it was just, he was the manager. I respected him. Uh, then I had, um, after Ilya, I went to Pitch, uh, Seattle. I had Dick Williams for a brief period uh, till August of one year. He was uh, already at close to 70. 
if not 70, he was done and he was brutally mean uh, and openly mean. <laughs> so, and I, you know, I never say anything back to the elderly. So I just let him say his piece and go on because I knew I was going to be in the cleanup spot. That's why they traded for me. Uh, then they traded me to Pittsburgh. I get Leland again. I'd had him in AAA briefly. And uh, I really liked him because he was a gambler and literally a gambler at dog tracks. I don't know if he did any other gambling than that. I just mean he was also a gambler with players on the field. You know, he's he's known as this, you know, great manager that might or might not make the Hall of Fame. The person, though, is he's not, he wasn't a kind man. He was just all about Jim Leland as a manager. He was trying to be the best he could be. So take it as you want. Uh, after Leland, I ended up with Art Howell. Now, here's a guy I played against, and uh, I'm in my early 30s now, <laughs> and uh, he's used to Houston Astro baseball, mostly. You know, he played for the Cardinals, I know, also, and maybe, maybe somebody else. Uh, great man, great man, uh, manager. Uh, good for young young players, horrible for veterans that he didn't play with. He played favorites and all that. Moneyball didn't depict him at all correctly, other than he was quiet. He was a quiet man. Still is. Good golfer, too. <laughs> we'll get you out of here with this. Um, so tell us about your book, Headed Home, a MLB All-Star Search for Truth. Okay. Um, I wrote Headed Home based on my autobiography of my life. I tell you how to get to the big leagues, how not to get to the, the big leagues, and also tell you your relationship with your father or your son's feelings when certain things happen while I'm telling my story of my life. Um, it has done pretty good. Uh, I'm getting a lot of positive feedback, uh, nothing but positive feedback. It's been out for a while. It's still on Amazon because I'm in the process of uh, consulting a few people like the president of Baseball Chapel, Vince Noss, who works for the Phillies. I'm consulting with him uh, on his end of things and then a couple of players' ends of things and how they looked at uh, Glenn Wilson, the ball player. So it, uh, the first one is about my life and helping kids and parents. Uh, then it throws you a big curveball at the end. The second one, I'll let you know when it comes out. Uh, it should be done. It's going to take me another year and a half. Okay. Awesome. And you can get that on Amazon, I assume? Yes, get it on Amazon.com, get it fast. They're going fast. Um, they're only $6.99 right now. I cut a tremendous discount for 
especially New Jersey, Philadelphia, uh, any of the Northeast gets the the nine uh, ninety nine or nine sixty nine, I think it is. Uh, but Texas folks, they got to pay the full sixteen. Sorry. <laughs> But if you find me in a round of golf, you can catch me in Conroe, Texas. Just ask anyone. They know where I'm at, especially on Sundays. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you coming on. Hey, not a problem. Y'all be safe. God bless. I want to remind everybody, hit that subscribe button and make sure you purchase his book. You can get it on Amazon, like you said. Everyone have a great night. Thank you for watching.